Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. And I'm all about like finding the processes that you really enjoy, like letting them be a big part of your practice and trying things and noticing if they're not really for you and then letting them go. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show where we work to answer the question, how do you get better at painting? I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. In this week's artist interview, I'm talking with the voice you just heard, mixed media artist Laura Horn. In the conversation, you'll discover how Horn designed her own self-study, the surprising way she creates and integrates reference materials, and you'll explore all the ways she uses sketchbooks, plus a whole lot more. This episode comes with a bonus conversation available to Gloss and High Gloss Patreon patrons. In it, Horn talks about the comparison trap and what to do if you start feeling bad about your art while looking at social media. All Patreon supporters get early access to new episodes plus sneak peeks into upcoming guests. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash support to learn more. And as always, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 32 to find show notes and to add your name to the newsletter list. All right, here we go. Hi, Laura. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. How did you get started in art? Well, I always loved as a child and I was always doing different sort of crafty, artsy kind of things. But I only really got started with my art practice when I was on maternity leave, my son, my second child, which is often a story that you hear. But I had uh, a daughter that was in kindergarten at that time and I had all sorts of things around me for her textures, crayons, colouring in, and and that's kind of where I reconnected with my creative side because I found that when I was doing things with her, I just wanted to keep going. And at that same time, I started to see things in the online space that were around, you know, art journaling, sketchbook practice and things like that, painting and doing things that felt accessible. And that's how I began. I had a little corner of the lounge room, tiny little laptop desk, and gradually I increased my space and took over the house. So (laughs) the corner of the lounge room ended up becoming the whole dining room and filled up the place with canvases. And I was was just so happy to have something that's for me. It was a kind of a nice distraction from nappies and routines with young kids that I felt so excited when I could steal a moment to something creative. Was there ever a point where you looked at the art you were doing and said, like, this is something I want to take seriously. I want to make it a priority in my life. It definitely started as a hobby and I had no idea that I would end up Um, becoming a full-time artist. Initially, it was just about having fun and I had a few friends that I would catch up with and we all had other jobs and I didn't think that it would become 
what it has become. But I did start getting inquiries and things which surprised me. So I was sharing my work on Instagram and I was surprised by how quickly people started following my art and from that how many people would contact me saying, can I buy your art or would you be interested in exhibiting your art and all this sort of stuff. Like people were kind of taking me way more seriously than I was taking myself. (laughs) And that surprised me. And then I ended up selling a few paintings. And at some point, I realized that, hey, maybe I could create a a business around this. And then I'd get to do what I love every day. Like it was as simple as that. I was like, I love doing this. If I was able to get an income from this, I could do it more. And so I started to entertain that idea. But on a small scale, I thought, well, I have a job. But what if I just do this part-time and maybe it'll make enough money that I can cover my supply? And so it grew from there. And I had a very gradual, I guess, step into being an, a full-time artist. So it started off with doing, you know, art on the weekends and then I cut back my work hours and I negotiated to go even more part-time than I was. Then I took long service leave and I dedicated almost a year to seeing if I could get my business to the ground. And so, yeah, it was a very gradual process. I'm not sure that I ever kind of decided as such on a particular day that I was going to become a a full-time artist, but I definitely felt very excited about the idea that I could get out of the nine to five and I could do something that was focused on what I truly enjoyed and, and what was inspiring me at that time. Do you think from a learning standpoint, having the gradual step in, did that help alleviate any of the pressure that you could just learn and create and explore where you wanted to go without kind of the, just like the pressure of saying like, this is a job? Yeah, I I was very fortunate to have quite a few years where anything that I made from my art was a bonus. And because of that, I didn't have to put myself under a huge amount of pressure to release collections all the time or, you know, be constantly working towards different exhibitions or shows or prizes, things like that. I was able to do it in a very gentle way. And most of my early work was sold locally in a cafe where I exhibited. So that just kept me uh, motivated, but it it was pretty gentle and low pressure as well. How did you set up that learning process for yourself? How did you go about sort of designing that self-study? Well, when I was younger, I wanted to go to art school. So it has always been something that has been a big passion of mine. But I got pretty intimidated around the whole process of getting into art school and putting putting together a portfolio. So later on, when I started dabbling in my own art, I thought, I get this opportunity now to kind of create my own education, my own art school. And so I looked at ways that I could bridge some of the gaps in my practice. And certainly when I started out, there was a lot of frustration. Like I've said that I loved it and I was excited and I was passionate, but I also found it really challenging that I couldn't create what I wanted to create. And I recognized I didn't have the skills that I needed around things like colour mixing and composition and even understanding supplies. And I kind of started with so much enthusiasm that I just would 
arrive at the blank page or the canvas and kind of just throw everything at it and hope for the best. <laughs> and, and that's sort of how I started making art. And then I'd look at it and I'd be like, oh, this isn't what I wanted. And so what I had to do was kind of slow down, take some deep breaths and go back to basics. And I enrolled in a art class, which was more of a traditional style painting and uh, doing still life and things like that, which I absolutely hated because <laughs> I still wanted to just throw everything at the canvas and have fun. But it taught me about colour mixing and drawing and observation. And I also did some online courses. And I spent a lot of time doing, I guess, what's sometimes considered the boring stuff, like swatching out my colours, mixing things up and trying out different supplies. And I almost approached it like I was a bit of a scientist, you know, like what would happen if I combined this with this and just taking the time to reflect and notice. And I filled my journals with a lot of writing as well. So I would make art on one side and then on the other side I'd write down like what happened almost like a little diary entry about what happened how did I feel where did I get frustrated what did I learn that kind of stuff so I started taking that kind of approach with my art and to me it was kind of like a combination of what I was doing which was very fun and experimental and freeing but just combining that with a little bit more intention and that was the sweet spot for me. So I didn't really like a very traditional approach, but I also found a fully intuitive approach quite challenging. And I found that when I bridged those two, that's when I started to enjoy my art more and my painting improved as well. When we're first starting out, there's just so much joy. It's pure joy. And then it's sort of a rude awakening when we first hit that first wall of, I don't know, just like momentum stopping and, and frustration. And it can be so easy to take that frustration and think like, well, I guess we're just not meant to be an artist and stop. And what I hear you saying is that you looked at those and said, like, let's break it down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that has been a big part of my uh, learning journey. And it's also the way that I teach as well is very much to break down the process into steps and kind of like manageable chunks as well. So when you're working on something, look at, you know, your color palette and look at the kind of compositions you're using, look at the mark making, like spend time on each of those areas or imagery or anything like that without worrying about the whole painting. So I would spend, you know, a whole day just with loads of different pages in front of me, different types of papers, and just go to town on mark making. And I might only use one colour. So I might just be using something like Payne's Grey, which I love, like a Payne's Grey ink, and just trying to make marks in as many different ways as possible on as many different surfaces. And that's all I would do that day. I'd just focus in on that. And then another day I might look at mixing up some colour palettes and thinking about what colours do I really want to use in my work? What's speaking to me at the moment? And often I'd look around at, you know, my own personal life and take a little, you know, walk around my home, my garden and things like that and look at what's around me and then come back and, and make colour palettes that tie in with that. So when I lived at the coast, I'd go for a walk down by the coast and then I'd come back and I'd paint up a little coastal palette 
and I'd keep them as reference material in my studio. So I'd always have like a bunch of swatches. And then when I go to paint, I flick through them and kind of pick one to work with on that particular day. And this to me felt like I had a whole lot of helpers in the studio. The same way like if you have a journal that you fill up with drawings and you have that next to you. With my process, I usually start very intuitive and loose. But then as I progress, I really look to these helpers to add things into my paintings. So if I have a journal on my table that has all sorts of botanical drawings that I've done in it, I'll flick through that and see if there's something that kind of matches the mood or the feeling that I'm having that has come through from the first layer of painting. So when I started to have all these bits and bobs, which is what I often affectionately call them, then I started to feel a lot more ease because I wouldn't get stuck so easily and worry about like, what should I paint? I don't know where to go here. In fact, I'd find that it usually was just a matter of looking around my studio and something you know, something would spark within me because I always have things like mood boards as well, uh, an inspiration board where I have all sorts of different things that I'm interested in at any time. So I spend just as much time on that kind of stuff as I do on actually painting a finished painting. In fact, probably more. Some of what I hear you saying too is that you don't expect yourself to have all the answers when you walk up to a blank canvas, that there is more to that process than just paint on canvas. Yeah, there's a lot of trust in the process. And what I find is that if you are just thinking about the first step, then you don't have to worry about all the other steps that are coming afterwards. So when I start a painting, I usually use it as an opportunity to loosen up and kind of feel my way into the process. So it's often using something like a water-soluble pastel or a pencil or something. Like I love the Caran d'Ache Neo Color 2 crayons and I love um, watercolor pencils. I have some of the Derwent Inktense pencils I use quite a bit. They are all water-soluble, so I tend to just really loosely hold them. Sometimes I'll use my non-dominant hand and just get some kind of scribbly marks on the page. And then after that, it doesn't matter whether I'm using watercolour or whether I'm using acrylic paint, I usually just go in with a very loose layer. And I will tend to start with my lighter colours because with watercolour, You need to work from light to dark. It's hard to layer with watercolour otherwise, whereas acrylic you can go the other way. But because I work across both paints, I tend to start with my light colours and kind of splash them in and then add in medium value colours and some darker colours. And one of the main, I guess, goals, I don't really like the word goal, but one of my main intentions when I start a painting is just to get some of that looseness in there, but also to get a variety of value. Now that's not necessarily the right or wrong way to start a painting, it's just the way that I start, but I try and get like some contrast, so some light areas, medium areas and some dark areas. And I usually go in with some kind of color palette in mind. So usually that comes from me just thinking about what kind of color mood I'm in that day. And I might be reflecting on something that I've experienced and think to myself, I'm, I'm kind of like in a jungly mood. 
<laughs> and I'll go for like the dark green and start with a colour idea. And if I'm not 100% sure, then I'll look through my swatches and just pick a colour palette that I feel connected with on that day. So in that first layer, I'm just getting to know those colours, getting some movement in there and getting a variety of value. So even though it's very free and easy and splashy and drippy and fun and loose, I do have some kind of idea. Do you know what I mean? Like I've got something I'm trying to achieve in that first layer, but that's it. Like I'm not thinking about the next step. I'm not thinking about, okay, what are the marks that come next? What is What imagery am I going to bring in? Am I going to use certain types of shapes and things like that? Usually I haven't got that part figured out yet because I'm waiting to see what comes up in that first layer. But it sounds like you go into that first layer with pretty clear intentions for that first layer. That's pretty specific. Yeah, it is. And sometimes it changes in the moment because as you're working and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go with this jungly green palette. And then all of a sudden you feel like, no, I want to bring in some red. Like I just feel that I want to bring a powerful pop of another color in that wasn't in that color palette that I thought I was going to go with. So there's definitely a lot of room to change and adapt, but I do tend to have some ideas. I come in there with just a couple of things that I am going to work with and I might have a little swatch sheet next to me and as I work through, I bring in like little drawings, things like that. It's not like I just go into a blank canvas and let it happen. That's what I used to do and I just found that it didn't work so well for me. And part of it is I think a personality as well, like knowing what works for you and whether you prefer to have uh, more reference material around you. I know some artists that absolutely love to just tear up the canvas with total freedom and, and just to not really even think at all and to totally get out of their head. But for me, it's kind of got to strike a balance. There's got to be some kind of direction or focus to where I'm heading. Then how does your thinking and interaction with the painting change after those first layers? It becomes more focused after the first layers. So I give myself a lot of freedom to kind of mix colors on the page when I do that first layer. But as I move into the second layer, I'm looking at what's there and saying, what does it need? And I might take more time actually mixing up a color because I want it to blend and harmonize with what's there. I might look at the composition and see, oh, something's kind of feeling a bit out of balance. So I might need to maybe bring some darker colors to the base of the painting or just to get the balance right. I might turn it upside down and kind of have a look at it to see um, what needs to be added. And I'll be thinking about you know, what what kind of painting am I painting here? Like, do I want it to be very abstract? Am I going to bring in some semi-abstract drawings or things like that into the painting? So I'm starting to make decisions at that point. And I use my previous paintings often as a guide to where I'm heading. So I'm not always coming up with something brand new. Um, quite often I'll be looking at several paintings that I've already painted and making some slight changes to what I'm doing, but I have common elements. So I might be exploring a particular type of botanical shape and doing several paintings the same shape in it. 
So, yeah, it becomes a lot more considered in a way as I progress. And one of the things that I like about that is that it's quite relaxing and almost meditative because I have a fairly good idea of what I'm doing and often there are repetitive marks involved or drawings that I've done before and I can kind of just relax in and enjoy taking my time with it. So I enjoy that part of the process just as much as the first part where the first part is you know, anything can kind of happen because you're allowing paint to bind in different ways and you're kind of delighting in all the textures and the yumminess that can come when you have that level of freedom and spontaneity. Also, what I hear you saying too is that we feel like every time we create a painting, it has to be new or different. And what I hear you saying is that there is joy in spending time in some of the same ideas to explore them. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I feel like when I first started painting, I was often chasing a shiny new thing and jumping from one area to another. And it was only when I started to slow down and go back to the same style of painting and paint another one and then another one. And that's where your painting improves a lot. Like you get better and each time you're noticing like subtle difference, strengthening certain areas. And it can be very enjoyable to see your style evolve in that way. And I'm a big fan in general of doing things like challenges, sticking with a theme for a while. It's it's a wonderful way to grow confidence in your work. So I definitely um, subscribe to that and I will work on something for quite a while. It doesn't mean that I don't change. Like my, my art is quite varied and I have quite a few different themes that I explore or styles, but I like to stick with something for a while and get to know it. And it also takes the overwhelm away when you sit down to paint. You can get straight into it. If you're working on a series then when you you know get up in the morning, you sit down, you know where you're heading and it's easy for you to get into your practice. And it doesn't need to be boring, but you can keep mixing it up. You can change up your colour palette, you can change up your compositions, your, you know, whatever you're bringing in, your mark making, you can do these little changes each time, but it still has that very cohesive feel to it. So that's something that I tend to do is just work on work on a series and spend time with one style for a while. How important was it for you to find a process? Well, I think when I started thinking more about the process and less about the end result, that's when things really improved. So what I realized was that I needed to come up with a process that was unique to me and when I began honing in more on that and the steps that I take in my painting, rather than thinking about what it was I was producing at the end, that's when I started to enjoy things more and I began to create paintings that I felt really good about as well. So definitely very process driven and I'm all about like finding the processes that you really enjoy, like letting them be a big part of your practice and trying things and noticing if they're not really for you and then letting them go. So, you know, there are some things that I've tried out. I've tried out oil paints and various media that for whatever reason haven't been quite right for me. And 
I think it's good to try things, but then also to feel free to like let them go. Because I think some people feel like, oh, you know, I've spent all that money or I've invested in this. I need to keep going with it. But that's not necessarily the case. You can always like make choices, decisions to help you have a happier art practice. And you can choose those things, those supplies, those techniques that you really find yourself like losing time when you are doing them. You know, the things that when you sit down and do, you go, oh, I'll just do this for 20 minutes. And then you look up and it's been four hours. And they're the things that you love. For me, just drawing with pens is something that I enjoy a lot, like just a Micron pen or a Posca paint pen. That's often something that I'll find that I go, oh, I'll just do that for 10 minutes. And then before I know it, I've you know filled up pages in my journal, of all sorts of little doodles, drawings, things like that. Sometimes when we when we get started, we think we should walk in fully formed. And so much of learning to paint is like there's so many options. So so much of learning to paint is just learning your opinion on everything. And it sounds like that took you a while, but you were aware of it. Like you allowed yourself to reflect on what you liked and what you didn't like and then step forward accordingly. It did take me a while to get to know what it is that I really like and what I don't like and to kind of get comfortable with letting things go and not necessarily being good at everything. Because, you know, when I started out, I really wanted to master all the things. And sometimes there was like a stubbornness in me that was like, I need to be able to do this. And even though I wasn't enjoying it, like I feel like I I should keep going because this is important. Like if I'm going to be an artist, I need to be able to do this. And then eventually I realized, you know what, this is like to sort of go into like this higher level thinking, you know, like this is my one shot at life and I want to spend it doing the things that I truly enjoy. And when I started to bring that into my art, that's when I started to feel empowered and able to make decisions that ultimately led to happiness and a better quality of life. And when I talk about those decisions, you know, they're they're wide reaching. So they can be decisions about the supplies that you use, decisions about whether you say yes to an exhibition or not, decisions about where you put your art, how often you post on Instagram, all of those things, things that we grapple with as artists. And for me, it's important to always go back to the lifestyle that I'm creating so that that way that is motivating me to make decisions that will make me feel good. When you sort of discovered your process and sort of realized some of these things, did it take time for you to give yourself permission to slow down in how you painted? Yeah, it did take time for me to get to this kind of slower, more easygoing approach. And a lot of it comes down to being more gentle with yourself and giving yourself a bit of grace and and recognizing when perhaps the best option is to just walk away from a painting, for example, or to take some time out and spend it in nature or have coffee with a friend or something like that rather than painting. So I definitely went in with a lot of gusto at the beginning and I could feel the potential for burnout quite early. Like quite early on, I was like, I'd gone from the joy and the happiness to the like kind of obsessiveness that was bordering on being quite unhealthy. So I realized that if I kept going in that way, then I wasn't going to have a very long art career. And I was just going to end up 
feeling like rubbish. So I realized that I needed to slow down for those reasons, as well as to improve my art and to be able to take some time on each painting after I've finished it to look at it and reflect on it and see where I could change things or improve things. And I now spend quite a lot of time looking back at my art. Like I have portfolio folders around me and when I sit down and I start painting, I'll flick through them and look at things and let them inspire me and give me ideas for new pieces of work. That's interesting that you say that. I think looking at our own work can be such an opportunity and yet we have to sort of learn how to look at our work because when we're first getting started we sort of think like I love it I hate it those are sort of the options and one (laughs) leaves us feeling elated but maybe nowhere to go and one leaves us feeling really rejected and kind of nowhere to go so I guess how do you look at your work and how do you suggest to your students to sort of analyze and think about their work yeah well one of the things that I always say is that all of the work matters. So you need to, first of all, work on your mindset. That's the first part because that's what will stop you from being able to see the benefits in your work or see the learning um, because you quickly jump to it's rubbish or it's great and the rubbish ones you kind of want to bury under a pile of <laughs> papers or put in the bin or hide and you, you don't want to look at it. So the first thing is to realize that those paintings that you want to hide or put away probably have even more opportunities to learn in them than some of your more successful paintings. We have to kind of push ourselves. We have to be able to take risks as an artist and risks don't always pay off, but we need to be willing to take things a little bit further perhaps in order to learn how far to go. So There is a lot of information and that's something that I will say to my students. There's a lot of information in those paintings. So don't be in such a hurry to get rid of them. You can, like I say, you can get rid of them. Like that's no problem, but let's just take a little look at them first and see what happened and maybe just make a few little mental notes about what went on in that. And if it makes you feel more comfortable, get something like a viewfinder out and break the painting up into parts because Sometimes we look at the whole thing and we're like, oh, that's not working, that's hideous or whatever. But if you block out certain areas, you'll find something in there that you like. And pretty much you can do that in any painting. So I would always encourage my students to look at paintings from different angles, maybe even, you know, turn it around and look at it from upside down, look at it in different light, use something like a viewfinder, And try and also reflect on how you felt during the process. So, because I think that always offers a lot of clues as to where we should be heading as artists. Okay, what was it that you didn't like in this particular situation? Is it to do with the supplies? Is it the subject matter? Is it the color palette? Like, what are the clues? And another way you can look at it is from more of a sort of scientific perspective as to, you know, what happened in the painting from a supplies perspective, were you using the right supply? Is there something else that you could have used that would have got you a different result? Because if we're in a hurry to just sort of abandon, we might miss out on the opportunity to even get onto Google and go, okay, when I combine these two supplies together, you know, I, I didn't get what I was looking for, whether that was the texture or the transparency or whatever it was that you were hoping for, it didn't happen. But there might be 
something else that you could try in order to get a similar effect but that actually works better. So sometimes we need to kind of, I guess, detach in a way, like detach emotionally. (laughs) It's hard, but, you know, like sort of just take away the feelings of good and bad and just look at it for what it is and what it offers us. Right, because it really does offer us information in the fact that if you go back into the studio and keep working, like unless you figure out what's going wrong, our instincts can kick in for good and for bad. So if our instincts sort of get into a tendency of like, oh, I really love green and I live really love red, but man, I don't love what happens when I put them together. And like until you recognize, oh, my love of green plus red together is what's not working. But if I used green, let it dry, did red, like it might be a whole different thing, but you have to recognize that. Yeah. And I think one of the best things that you can do, and this is what I tend to do, is when a painting doesn't go how I want it to. So maybe it gets too dark, maybe it gets too busy, maybe I just made the wrong decision in the last moment. You know, I added a botanical image and it just doesn't quite fit with the background. The best thing that you can do is paint that painting again and correct those things or try to you know make the changes so quite often the painting that I might end up sharing on social media or you know putting up for sale or something like that there is probably a very similar painting to that in my bin (laughs) you know like I feel like I often particularly if I'm doing something new like I'm exploring a new theme then I will paint the first one and something won't feel quite right and then I'll paint the second one and the second one will be the one that I end up sharing or whatnot because I'll make that slight little adjustment. I'll leave out that one shape or I'll adjust the ratio of light and dark colours just that little bit until it feels better. Now, if you do that process again and again and again, your painting will improve so much if you keep on being willing to kind of go back and just treat it as an opportunity to learn and then do the same thing again, make that little tweak. This is a little bit of a transition, but you do a lot of work in sketchbooks from a material standpoint. Will any sketchbook do, or is there something that you sort of point students in a direction to look for if they want to create something like a sketchbook? Well, it depends what you'll be doing in your sketchbook. If you're going to be working with watercolour paints and even acrylic paints, I would generally suggest getting a sketchbook that has a watercolour paper in it. Usually they're about 200 GSM weight in the sketchbooks that I use and that can handle a fair bit of wet media. But if I'm just going to be doing some scrappy stuff, like in my scrappy sketchbook, sometimes I have ordinary like cartridge paper and other kinds of paper in those sketchbooks. So I'm not super tied to the fact that it has to be like high quality watercolor paper, particularly if you're just messing around. But if I want to paint like a painting from start to finish then I'll look for that higher quality paper and one thing I have noticed is that paper does make a really big difference particularly with watercolor you know this is one thing that I say to my students less is more so have less supplies but see if you can invest in higher quality supplies so things like higher quality watercolor paint and higher quality paper 
and even some, a couple of better brushes. They don't need to be the really expensive watercolour brushes, but you can get brushes like I use the Princeton Neptune watercolour brushes and I find that they are really good for getting, you know, a good amount of water into the brush so you can get a nice wash down or they have a nice point so that you can get those fine details when you are painting a botanical leaf or something like that. So supplies do make a difference and if you can maybe get a smaller set or just a few colors of a better quality paint I would be suggesting that over getting one of those like big sets of watercolors that have you know 100 different colors. The sketchbook do you use sketchbooks purely as a place to explore ideas? Do you use them as a step to create bigger work? How do sketchbooks play a role in your practice? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I do have a lot of different sketchbooks that I use in various ways. But I will say that for the most part, I do think that my sketchbooks help me when I go to paint pieces like on paper and stuff like that. I do feel like they are supportive to that goal. You know, if I want to actually create paintings to sell or put on my website or something like that, they do work hand in hand. But I love having a sketchbook because it offers you that place to explore without the pressure of it has to be something that will eventually be, you know, a product or you know, something that you sell. I, I love that. It gives you so much freedom within those pages. But sometimes it's to try out a different color palette. Sometimes it's to experiment with different marks and imagery that I might end up using in paintings down the track. I often work on multiple sketchbooks at a time. So I will do a little bit in one and then a little bit in another. And, you know, there's a lot of flexibility with it all. I like particularly having one sketchbook that is more of what I call like a scrappy sketchbook and that never has anything that is like a completed painting in it. It usually just has scribbles in it and a little swatch of colours or something like that. It's like a place that I can reach over and try something out before I might put it into my fancier sketchbook or onto like a piece of paper or a separate piece of it. So I, I have like a scrappy sketchbook and I think that's just something to do with my mindset as well. Like I know in the scrappy one, I can really just go for it and try something out. And in my fancy sketchbook, I usually do try to create like a full spread or something that resembles a painting. <laughs> so I use them in different ways. And I think that can be helpful to have a few different journals that you use, you know, some that you have like total freedom in and then others you might bring in a bit more intention and care. So that's what I tend to sort of have different journals for different purposes. And I also love writing. So I have journals that are more focused on the written part of a creative practice. And that could involve writing a diary entry around what I'm doing that day, or it might be just writing down some words. If I'm brainstorming a particular idea, I might start with, you know, what kind of feeling do I want to get into? You know, is it, you know, rich or layered? Or do I want it to feel playful or whatever it is that I want to express through my art? Then I start to like use words as a beginning. I will often 
combine my journal that has all my writing in it with my scrappy journal that has things like drawings and color palettes and bits and fragments of art and then I'll have a journal where I kind of pull all that together and have a go at painting a painting start to finish and that journal was you know more cohesive looking I could flick through it and it looks like each spread looks like a little painting and then that journal is the one that I would then often use as inspiration if I then decided I wanted to create a series I might actually look through that journal and translate some of those ideas to either you know canvas or paper so yeah you know, use them all <laughs> for different things you touched upon this a little bit but so like you have a scrappy journal and you have your more written journal then would you have a journal that would focus mainly on your botanical abstract work and then another journal that focuses mainly on your landscape abstract work or sort of thematic like that? So yeah, I do try and have themes that I explore, but I try and also not be too strict about it because that can limit my creativity in a way and make me feel like I have to get it right and I don't want my sketchbooks to feel like that. So I try and not be too like hard on myself if I go off. I'll just flick to the next page and sort of get back onto the theme and, and not worry about it. What I love hearing you talk about the different sketchbooks is that it also feels like it traces how a thought becomes a painting. And you seem to have a system that accounts for that, those gentle steps forward. Yeah. So my paintings sort of start, like they'll start in my written diary as a little idea. So they'll start with words and then gradually they'll come through as like color palettes, mark making, and then eventually I try it out in my, my sketchbook where I do more complete paintings and then I'll take it onto paper or canvas. A lot of artists don't necessarily do that. Like they don't translate what they do in their sketchbooks onto a larger piece later, but I do. I use my sketchbooks as inspiration for my canvas paintings and the paintings that I do on watercolour paper. My paintings, they go through quite a process and weave their way through all my sketchbooks, into my mood board, all over the place until they come out at the end as a painting that you might see. So they've been on quite a journey <laughs> through all those things. How do you know when a painting is finished? And how long do you sort of give yourself to figure that out? In the sense of like, do you just look at it and know? Or do you have to walk away and give it some time to breathe before you know? I would say that both happen to me. There are some paintings that I paint and at the end, I just know. Like it's a feeling, everything looks cohesive. And I just... I get that sense that it's done. And then there are other paintings that I don't feel 100% sure about at the end. And so I'll kind of walk away from those and maybe come back a few days later and have a look. Usually if I feel that way, there might be like a little bit of a tweak that I need to do when I come back and I just can't see it when I'm in the painting at the time. But there have been a few paintings that I really haven't liked and I've come back and looked at about two years later <laughs> and I've loved them just as they are. So sometimes I feel like I'm not quite ready for the painting yet. So this will often be I've pushed it in a direction that is a little outside of what I normally do and I haven't yet come to terms with that. <laughs> and it takes me like a couple of years to go, yeah, actually I like that. <laughs> so it's a hard one. 
to teach as well, like to go through, like, what do you look for to know that a painting is finished? But I definitely like sort of go through paintings and look at how like my eye is moving through it. Is it getting stuck anywhere? Like those basic kind of things, does it feel balanced? I look at those as I'm analysing a painting. Usually it's more of a feeling, feels right. But I think that that comes with time, comes with practice. And maybe at the beginning it's, it's more helpful to kind of like look at specific things, almost like going through a checklist. But later on you just kind of, you know. <laughs> if your work is abstracted, that sense of done, was that hard to learn? It is hard, and I overworked so many paintings when I started. <laughs> uh, I would always like be pushing the paintings around in circles, and then I'd go back and I'd look at progress photos, and I'd realize that hey, I, I should have stopped there. And actually, that's a good thing to do like, take photographs of your art through the different stages so that you can look back, and sometimes you've just got to learn like how far is too far. But yeah, with abstract, it is challenging to know where is the end point. And there is an element of just trusting in your process and trusting in how you feel because it's hard to say, oh, yes, this is right or wrong. (laughs) So there is an element of that. I feel like it gets a lot easier when you paint a lot of paintings. Working on several pieces at once makes the one that's finished stand out. So if you're working on six or seven pieces, what I usually do is I take them all up to sort of a 80% mark. So I work on them all at the same time. And then I will choose the one that feels like the easiest to finish. So out of the eight that I'm working on, there'll be one that I'll be like, oh, you know what, that looks like it's about 90% done. So I'll just do that little bit and see. And then what I find is that that one will help me recognise which of the other ones is closer or it just gives you something to kind of like benchmark against in a way. And I feel like having more than one painting makes the ones that aren't finished a lot more obvious. So if someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice would you give them? My advice would be to develop a practice of making art. So really work on the habit and the process. So not so much on the outcome, but look at how do you work well? When do you work well? Do you respond well to having prompts? Uh, Maybe give yourself some kind of personal challenge that you could work with. And also I would say simplify it, simplify your space, simplify your supplies, make it as easy as you possibly can. And that way you'll be able to get into the process more often and make more paintings. That's where the magic lies. I mean, that's nothing new. Everyone who comes on your podcast probably says the same thing, but Uh, You need to make a lot of art. What will help with that is gaining that self-awareness around how you work best and what you enjoy. So if you can bring a little bit of that mindset into it so that you look at what is it that will make me enjoy the practice of art? Because if you're enjoying it, you'll naturally do more of it. So if you can set things up in a certain way that you get into your studio or wherever it is you make art more often, 
then you'll feel the benefits of quantity as you make more pieces. You can find more about Laura Horn at her website, laurahornart.com, and on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for being with us today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Kelly. And I really hope that everyone enjoys the conversation and takes something away from it, even if it's just something small. Thank you. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. I forgot to mention in my interview close that Laura Horn has a fantastic podcast called the Laura Horn Art Podcast. You can find links to her show, classes, and everything else in the show notes. To find those, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 32. While you're there, add your name to the newsletter list to get more ideas on how to get better at painting. And if you like the show and find yourself coming back episode after episode, consider supporting it. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash support to learn more. And speaking of support, thank you to everyone who is supporting monthly through Patreon and to High Gloss supporters Andrew Atterbury, Debbie Miller, and Janet Wheeler. Happy painting!